You're listening to Forecast, the marketing podcast for professional services leaders. If you're looking to generate more leads, win more deals, and take your firm to the next level, this show is your shortcut. Hey there, welcome back to the show. I am your host, Ahmed Munawar. This is the third and final installment in our series on sales and business development. And in this lesson, we're gonna talk about how to close the deal. Before we get into it, if you haven't yet joined us inside our free crash course on the five P's of lead generation for professional services firms, you're gonna wanna check that out. Inside the course, I will show you a proven step-by-step process to generate a flood of new business for your firm and you can get immediate access to the entire course at no charge at 5leadgen.com. That's 5leadgen.com, and you can spell out five or use the number, either one works. So look, let me level with you. I am by no means a sales expert or a sales trainer. I'm just as much of a student of sales and business development as you are. I may know a little bit more, but not a whole lot more. I'm a marketer in the end, and I'm not a salesperson. So I thought it would be fairly hypocritical of me to talk about the art of closing the deal as if I'm some kind of expert in it, which I most certainly am not. So instead, I'm gonna share with you some of the tips from an actual sales expert by the name of Anthony Iannarino of thesalesblog.com. Now there's an article on Anthony's website called The Nine Things That You Need To Know About Closing which I think are perfect for our discussion here. So I'm gonna share those nine points with you from Anthony's article, and I'll share some of my ideas and reflections on each point. Now, if you wanna grab a link to the article, as well as all the other lessons in this series on sales, including my upcoming interview with Mark Cox of In The Funnel, then you can head over to forecast.fm slash sales. That's forecast.fm slash sales. So the first point Anthony makes is that the words you use to ask for your dream client's business are less important than all of the things that you do leading up to that point. So this is a really critical point because people tend to think that the close is an event, which is not true at all. The close is a process. It's not an event. It's not like the prospect just kind of wakes up one morning and says, oh, I think the deal is closed or I want to close today. That's not how it works. It's actually a series of commitments, a series of decisions, a series of smaller closes that lead up to the final close. So the point Anthony is making here is that there's no sense getting all caught up on the words that you use for that final close. How do you ask for the sale? How do you ask for their business? How do you frame it? Not that that's not important, but it's not nearly as important as everything that's happened up until that point. The second point that Anthony makes, and certainly related to what we just talked about, is that there are a lot of smaller asks that you need to make on your way to the final ask. You can't move the final ask forward by skipping the asks that should have come before it. So remember, the journey is a long one, right? There are several smaller commitments that a buyer has to make before they make that final commitment. And that's really aligned with the buyer's journey. So if a buyer is early on in their buyer's journey and you know maybe they know they have a problem but they're not quite sure what to do about it, if you make your final ask and you say, hey, hey buy my product or buy my service, that's gonna be a guaranteed no because they're nowhere near making that decision yet. So you wanna nurture them through the process. You wanna nurture them through their own journey by making several smaller asks that all lead up to your final ask. And you only make that final ask, that final close, when you know they're good and ready. 
The third point that Anthony makes is that your dream client wants you to ask for their business. They want to work with someone who wants to do the work. So a lot of people shy away from asking for the sale, which is a really big mistake because if you don't ask for the sale, how will the buyer ever know that you actually want their business, that you actually want to work with them? And the funny thing is people tend to not ask for the sale because they don't want to put the buyer in an uncomfortable position. But it's actually the opposite that usually happens, that when you ask for the sale, the buyer will see that, hey, this person actually wants to work with me. They actually want to help me. And I want to work with the kind of person or the kind of firm that actually wants to work with me. So in the end, it's positive in that the buyer will receive your asking as a symbol or as a sign that you actually want to work with them. Number four is if the language you use to close makes you uncomfortable, then it probably isn't good closing language. If your close has a name, then it probably isn't good for business-to-business sales. So what Anthony's saying here is that ultimately use the kind of language that you think is appropriate for your buyer and for your industry, but also that you feel comfortable saying. Because if you don't feel comfortable saying it, then it's not going to come out right and it won't be effective. And he's making another point here, which is that if your close has a name, then it's probably not good for B2B sales. So there are a few, you know, kind of, I guess you could call them signature closes that have names and are kind of branded in a certain way in the B2C sales world. So whether you're selling, you know, used cars or door-to-door vacuums or, you know, encyclopedias, there are closes that have become known and famous. And those are usually very kind of, dare I say, manipulative, and they definitely don't work in a B2B environment. So you want to stay away from those kind of manipulative, kind of hype-filled closes. Number five is if your dream client doesn't say yes to your ask, then they have some concern that you haven't yet resolved. If you don't resolve that concern or overcome that objection, then you're not going to get an affirmative answer by asking again. So here's a common mistake. You ask for the sale, the buyer says, not right now. And you take that to mean, oh, they just need some time to think it over. And then a week later or a month later, you ask again. But when you dig deeper, the reason the buyer wasn't ready to move was not because the timing wasn't right, although that could be the case, but more often than not, there's some other unresolved issue that you haven't addressed. Maybe you're not hitting the right points in your sales pitch. Maybe you haven't satisfied one of the requirements that the buyer has for the contract. Maybe your pricing is a little bit off. It could be any number of things, but the point is, unless you resolve that issue, the answer is not going to magically change. Number six is if your dream client has needs now, ask for the opportunity to help. Even if you haven't completed all the steps in your sales process, you can begin working with them while you're going through the process. So if you find yourself in a sales conversation where there are issues that need to be resolved immediately, there are fires that need to be put out, don't force your client to go through the motions of your sales process and of the buyer's journey if you know that you can help them right away. By all means, start helping them. In fact, it's a great sales strategy, especially in the professional services and consulting world. If you start helping them right away, they'll begin to see how effective you are in what you do and the value that you can provide and they'll be much more likely to want to work with you in a more formal capacity. Number seven is there is no scenario in which it makes sense for you to wait for your dream client to ask you to work with them. Not asking for the business doesn't make you a better salesperson. So here's another mistake that people make is they think, well, it's so obvious that they need me. Uh, you know, I'm just going to wait for them to come to me. And while it may be obvious that they need to work with you, both to you and to them, 
waiting for them to come to you is just senseless because you have to remember the buyer is busy, right? And the easiest thing to do is to do nothing at all, right? The least risky option is always the option of staying with things as they are, maintaining the status quo. And if you leave it up to your buyer, that's exactly what they'll do. And point number eight speaks directly to that, where Anthony says, sometimes the best way to help your dream client is to ask for the commitment to get started and force them to make a decision that they've been postponing because they're afraid to make a change that is necessary. Look, if you want to disrupt the status quo, you're going to have to make a call to action. You're going to have to force the buyer in a certain way to take the action that they're afraid to take. Because there's always fear and there's always risk and there's always a potential downside of taking a course of action. But you need to convince them that the potential gains and the value that you can create outweigh the potential cons and the risks. And point number nine is asking for the commitments you need to serve your dream client doesn't make you a bad or pushy salesperson. Not asking does. Now, this goes back to our broader point about sales, that if you legitimately believe that you can help the buyer, if you believe that what you have to offer will represent a tangible benefit or a desired outcome for the buyer, then it's your damn job to sell. And so asking for the commitment, the several smaller commitments, and then the final ask at the end doesn't make you pushy. It doesn't make you sleazy. It doesn't make you a bad salesperson. It makes it your job. Because if you don't ask for those commitments, the buyer will likely not do anything. And if they don't do anything, you know very well what the implications of that are. So those are nine tips on closing the deal from sales expert Anthony Ianarino of the salesblog.com. Again, you can get the link to that episode as well as all of the other lessons in this series on sales and my upcoming interview with Mark Cox of In the Funnel at forecast.fm slash sales. The last thing I'll say about sales is that ultimately, this is something that you have to learn over time. If you've been going into sales conversations and just kind of letting things close hazardly or just letting things fall to chance, then you're probably not getting better at the close process. But if you go in now very intentionally, if you think about these nine tips and you think about how to close the deal and the different steps leading up to that close and you're intentional about it and you learn from every experience, whether it closes or not, every single opportunity is a learning experience. And if you take the time to learn from those experiences and to make improvements to your sales and your close process with every single interaction, you're going to get better over time. So that's a wrap on this entire series on sales and business development. Again, if you want to get access to the entire series and the entire tutorial, head over to forecast.fm slash sales. Finally, if you haven't yet subscribed to Forecast on iTunes, do us both a favor, head over to iTunes, search for forecast marketing in the search box, find the show, hit subscribe. And while you're at it, leave us a rating and a review because it helps more people discover the show. Thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm.